Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossat, managing editor, fightful.com, fightfulmma.com. It's where you can go to get your latest MMA news, videos, photos, podcasts. We have one this Saturday after UFC 229, a huge day in MMA and pro wrestling. Make sure you all check us out. I've been posting individual fight reviews uh, up there from those podcasts. Check those out. Give us a thumbs up, subscribe, all that good stuff. You know the drill, FightfulSelect.com. That's where you can get good bonus content. Go check us out. It's our uh, additional subscription service. But it's UFC 229 week, and we don't have a lot of time for plugs we got james lynch joining us james how are you i'm doing well guys good to good to be back in the new home as well that's right yeah still getting stuff figured out i my uh my furniture still isn't here yet so i'm still living out of a suitcase but we hear thursday but it'll, it'll basically come when i'm not here because i'll be in vegas uh, tomorrow that's to true. cover ufc 229 showdown joe is, is joining us fresh out of a typhoon that was a little you know, scary. That was uh, how was that? Well, that's my second typhoon that I've been in Japan, and then you can add an earthquake uh, a few shows ago. So every time I seem to go there, there's some crazy Mother Nature thing going on. But uh, that, I mean, I'll be honest with you, we didn't really it didn't really affect us at all because inside Saitama, um, yeah, there was a typhoon going on outside. But other than that, we were fine. And then the the typhoon that really hit was in Tokyo, so we were in Saitama. And then by the time we got back to Tokyo, it had already sort of passed. Um, except for the second bus. We got on the first bus. Trig, uh, Jill, and I and a bunch of fighters uh, got on that first bus because if you don't get on that first bus, you're there for a long time. That The second bus left that for an hour and a half after the first bus, and that one got hit uh, with some of the remnants of the typhoon. It was being bounced around off the highway. We had no problem. We got back, got to the hotel, and it was getting pretty windy, and I just whoop, sat inside, up to my room. See ya. We are going to talk about rising later on. But instead of typhoons, we're going to talk about shitstorms. The <laughs> UFC shitstorm that is surrounding UFC 230. Dana White has told uh, ESPN's Bre- Brett Okamoto that the main event of UFC 230 is a done deal, Joe. What, what do you think it is? Because Joe doesn't know. I made sure Joe didn't know before we got on the air. UFC 230? Yes. That's in uh, New York? In a month, yeah. I don't know. John Jones? Valentina Shevchenko taking on Sajara Eubanks for the vacant flyweight championship. Yes, they sacrificed what? Shevchenko versus Joanna Yo- for this title in order to make this fight the main event of UFC 230 to not institute a new 165-pound division as Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz had requested and obviously were pushing for. Joe, your thoughts on this this main event, which Fred Okamoto is told that uh, the bout agreements have not officially been signed. Uh, I, time. I, that is silly. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, we talked last week about the importance of, of fights that are relevant and what's the money fight? What's the big fight in that division? And it's not... Uh, with all due respect to you, Jar, like, don't get me wrong, but that is not the money fight in that division. Uh, and if you were to put a 165-pound title 
introduce a new division, new champion. My goodness, you could promote that left, right, and center everywhere. Uh, I, I, stranger things have happened in the UFC, but that is that doesn't make sense to me. James, we, we talked on previous shows about UFC 230. Nate Diaz and, and Dustin Poirier gave them a pretty easy out by just saying, we'll do five rounds, we'll do 165. This division needs to happen anyway. What are they thinking? I just don't get why you have to have a title fight on a pay-per-view. That, that to me, is the issue yeah. here. It, it, it doesn't matter. To me, the, the, the fight that everyone's looking forward to is Diaz and Poirier. This is intriguing. Nothing to take away from the ladies. I mean, that is going to be a great fight as well. But uh, Sajara Eubanks is coming off a decision win over Lauren Murphy. Like, it's not like she came out and, you know, got a first-round finish or there's some sort of hype behind her heading into this fight. I mean, she was the, you know, she was rightfully the, the one who people figured was going to win the show. Of course, she misses weight and, uh, you know, comes back, ends up getting that win over Murphy. But this, the, the, first of all, you know, l- let's just take away the fact that Diaz and, and Poirier aren't the main event. Let's just look at this fight on itself. Like, th- who knows Sajara Eubanks? Valentina, sure. I mean, she's headlining it. You know, a couple of cards and she's, you know, fought for titles and things like that. But I just think the casual fan, if you're going to buy this pay-per-view, do you know who Sajara Eubanks is? I don't think you do. No, not at all. I mean, you got four or five fights down the show and they're bigger names. Weidman versus Rockhold. Brunson versus Adesanya. More people know who Adesanya is at this point than Sajara Eubanks, I would argue. Uh, you have Souza and Branch, and my God, it's just such a bad move. Such a tone-deaf move, in, in my opinion. And whether or not they, they make Poirier Diaz for the 165-pound title, that is something that needs to happen. We talked, to, talked it to death. It just makes sense to do. But the UFC, just it seems like they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. If UFC were to put up a poll right now on their page, would you like to see a 165-pound division in the UFC? I wonder how that would go. Personally, hey, hey, guys, I'm going to start one of my own. We'll, we'll see what the audience wants. We'll see how, how that reacts or how the reaction is to that. That's just unbelievably tone deaf. But we had some stuff happen this weekend that maybe wasn't as tone deaf. Gegard Musashi, Rory McDonald, on paper, a much better fight than it ended up being. <laughs> Joe, we didn't get your thoughts on this fight. What you uh, think? Yeah, that's a that's a good way of summarizing it. Much better on paper than it was uh, an actual fight. I mean, who would have thought the bigger guy was going to be faster, more precise, quicker? Uh, we saw that he was more powerful. Um, that was just relentless. But yeah, I mean, Rory said that he checked out. He was frozen. He froze before he got in there. He wasn't mentally there. Um, I mean, that's the last thing you want to hear from a fighter in a world title fight, especially with the opportunity. Uh, of becoming a two division champion, you know, uh, Gegard put on a fantastic performance, you know, and just just was mean. That jab was fantastic. Even the right hand was fantastic. So good for him. Good for uh, for Gegard. Um, you know, we'll see where they go with him now. But other than that, you know, Roy can go back to one seventy and defend his title. Also, we saw Rampage Jackson take on Vanderlei Silva. The way that I put it on the show is they looked like two dads fighting in a swimming pool. But Rampage Jackson won, even up the series. Both seem interested in fighting again. But Rampage, I think it was a big mental block for him to know that Vanderlei had the edge up on him. Do you think we see this fight again, Joe? And what do you think of the fight? I think we do see it again. Um, the fight was, you know, again, you described it pretty good. Uh, it was not the fight that we saw in Pride uh, back in the day. These, these guys are older, so you, the, the, I wouldn't say dad bods, but... You know, they're, they're not the same fighters they were before. So it was, you know, you should have expected that heading into this bout here. Um, that Vanderlei simply is not the axe murderer anymore. Now he's Vanderlei Silva. He's not the axe murderer anymore. If he was the axe murderer, you'd have seen a different fighter. Uh, you know, he, he's the axe aggravated assaulter. We'll give him that much credit. Yeah, it's just, you know, they, I, I think we all opine to see the old Vanderlei Silva. Uh, it ain't going to happen. Rampage, this is the fight that he wants. This is the fight he likes. This is the type of opponent he absolutely adores, a guy that's going to stand and bang with him. And, you know, it's, unfortunately, it's a guy that that's that's a shell of who he was. So, um, you know, I, I'd love to see Vanderlei do better, but he's not at this point here. Uh, we've seen in the last couple of fights who Vanderlei Silva is as a fighter. He's not the same guy uh, he was before in his youth. Um, still, you know, kick our butts, but other than that, he's not the same fighter. We're starting to see more of what Aaron Pico is as a fighter. He was looking very good the other night, Joe. What did you take away from that performance? Uh, it's the same thing I told Trig while we were out in um, in Japan, in Tokyo. Uh, I, I said the conversation that we all had last week 
Um, what is it that Bellator knows that we don't know? And clearly we saw it, right? I mean, the, the guy's fantastic. The guy's fantastic. So, um, you know, a lot of bright things uh, in terms of his future. But I, I thought it was going to be a, a longer fight. I thought it was actually going to go at least into the third round, at least go the distance. And, man, good for him. Well, let's talk about your Ryzen experience. James, did you get a chance to check out any of the Ryzen show this weekend? Yeah, I, d- I did catch the highlights. Uh, the, the guy I was really impressed with was Darren Krukchink, again, getting another uh, win here. Uh, I think it's four straight wins for him for the first time since I think it was October 2011. So uh, getting the job done here, uh, just a highlight reel machine. Uh, just a good card overall. I mean, Ryzen puts on some really great cards, and it's uh, good to see them, uh, you know, keep the momentum going uh, from card to card. Krokop getting a win. I mean, it's, it's what, do you know, what can you not like about that card? I loved how it started almost, well, not right after Bellator ended, but shortly after Bellator ended. So you get to ride that wave of just MMA all night long. You had good fights on Bellator. You had big names on Ryzen. Uh, Joe, I don't know if you can confirm or deny, did you all get any Peppa Pig action on Ryzen? Uh, No. We did not. Well, that's a shame because Bellator (laughs) brought home the bacon in the UK. Oh, here we go. I don't know if you heard about this, but... Peppa Pig aired at 6 a.m. local time in the UK. They don't get a lot of these shows live. James and I talked about this uh, a little bit, but it was deemed, uh, Bellator was deemed not suitable for uh, morning viewing in the UK on a Viacom owned station. Now, keep in mind, Joe, they're running this event on Dazzin, the zone, the Asian, which I saw a commercial for during football this week where they make fun of the pronunciation of their own name. Oh, so really? at least they're, they're aware. But they're running this on a streaming service. They can pace it how they want. They didn't need six fights. They didn't need two five-round scheduled fights. But still, it went incredibly over time. Joe, how, how do they make an error like this? I, 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 when, I got, when I first saw that, I just said to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Like, there has to be a different way to figure this out. But... Um, yeah, the running joke with the whole Peppa Pig thing is, is, is it's, I wouldn't say it's insane, but it's close to insane. Like it's just, it's ludicrous to see that kind of stuff. But a lot of countries have different, you know, rules and, and, and in terms of how they present product, uh, to a national audience. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, um, there is anything wrong with what's happening in the UK. Like there's times, you know, James knows the radio stations we have here in Toronto, and there's times that I'll be driving down, you know, it's, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, whether I've got it on sports talk radio or I've got it on um, an all hit station with my son in the back. And, you know, they're, they're dropping the, uh, the ass word or the shit word. I'm like, for real? Like right now? And then my son's in the back. Ah, that guy's an ass. That, guy, ah, that guy's a piece of shit. I'm like, well, you know, and then people say, oh, it comes from the parents. Well, no, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Some radio host decides to say that. So I get sometimes while, while there's some networks or there's some, uh, countries in the world that kind of want to make sure that you know you're careful with what you say, but what you see is a different story. You can you can you know I've, I've got the right to t- turn my radio station. If I see fights at six a.m. and I find it offensive, turn the channel. Turn the freaking channel. Don't bitch and complain. Turn the channel. One of the top stories of the Ryzen show, James, was Bob Sapp, who is three and thirty-two since like oh nine across kickboxing and MMA. One of those is a TKO via injury in which he was probably supposed to throw a fight, and the guy ended up getting hurt. Don't know, didn't watch it. But I did watch his win on Saturday, Sunday. James, your thoughts on Bob Sapp back in the game and rising? He's a name. Yeah, he, he beat a guy who was making his pro debut, was he not? Yep. Yeah, so I, I mean, that's, that name, that's the matchmaking for you. You're, you're going to get, you know, they, good for Bob Sapp. Still going strong. How old is he now? 46. Oh, 46 is he really yeah yes see that that's mind-boggling for me to even think because i remember when he appeared on wcw programming they were going to bring him in and eventually he became a successful pro wrestler in japan too won the iwgp heavyweight championship but i remember back then he was like a 26 27 year old so that's quite humbling to me joe your thoughts as you watched on and you called this fight it was a fun fight to call. It was a fun fight to call. I mean, Josh Barnett uh, in the pre-fight interview said it best. If, you know, uh, Osuna Rashi gets on top or Bob Sapp gets on top, on top, uh, fight's over. The first guy to land a big punch, fight's over. Well, you know, the beginning of the fight, Osuna Rashi comes in there and starts blasting Bob Sapp. And, you know, the, the, the thought 
most people have is when, when Bob that happens to Bob Sapp, he quote unquote throws fights, he's gonna go down and stuff like that. He chose not to go down. He chose to sit there, bite down his mouthpiece, take it, and try and return the favor. In the second round, Osunarashi gets the takedown, and Sapp is able to reverse it, and he gets on top of uh Osunarashi. And I figured, okay, this is it. He's gonna pound away. He wasn't able to do it. And then in the third round, um, you know, with his opponent basically out cold standing up, Bob didn't have the energy to move forward and throw punches to knock him out. So, um, yeah, I mean, so some guy took a shot at me on, on Twitter saying, you know, cause I said, I've never seen this before in my life. And he's like, he brought up, uh, Kimbo and data 3000, 5000, 4000, whatever it is. And, and I was like, no, it's a little different there, bud, but I understand what you're saying. So not a lot of stock being put into Bob Sapp's win, but Mirko Krokop's riding a nine fight winning streak. However, uh, Maybe not fighting the the top competition, but his opponent in Martinez was eleven and three going into this fight. James, he's I think he's nine and one in his last ten MMA fights. He's something like sixteen and two since the last time he left the the UFC. I think, or maybe the the second time he left the UFC. How much stock are you putting in a Mirko Krokop win? It's good to see him still fighting because he was going to retire like six seven years ago. Yeah, he's 44 years old now. Uh, it's good to see him get this win. Where does it lead him after this? I don't know. I think he'll continue to fight for Ryzen. I know there's been some talk about him potentially going over to Bellator, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if they want to go that route. I, I think Mirko's fine just fighting, you know, with the schedule that Ryzen has and, you know, sort of uh, just, you know, pick up a paycheck. Good for him, though, you know. Uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, he was a guy that the UFC brought in expecting all this hype and he was going to win the title and it didn't happen. And, you know, now he's still riding off into the sunset in Japan. It's great. Making those six-figure paydays, too. That's got to be nice. Uh, not having to worry about some of the things that he had to worry about before. And he's finishing people. He's getting in there. They're putting him against guys. And he's finishing people. And that's what you want when you tune into a Mirko Krokop fight. You don't want to see the type of fight that he had with Frank Mir, even though that fight got finished. It was a, a all-time terrible fight before that. You don't want to – and you don't want to see him get finished is the thing. But they're able to make it work. I wouldn't be surprised if Ryzen tried to tried to yank Gabriel Gonzaga out of retirement one day. He did, I believe he did retire. Uh, but what do you see in the future for Mirko Krokop? Just more set him up, knock him down, Joe? Uh, I think he, he's chasing down that Roy Nelson fight, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I see the same thing. I mean, in, in Roque Martinez, this is a guy that's got stamina for days. You may not see it in his body. But his opponent um, at Ryzen is a kid that's just got it. Like, he's got it. He can he can fight. Uh, and he just got – he had Miracle in the corner. And Miracle just hit him with that elbow and split him open. Um, you know, Martinez's corner was was upset because, you know, it was a small cut. Dude was bleeding pretty bad. Uh, but Roque, I mean, that guy there is just the funniest dude ever. Uh, his whole team is fantastic. Everybody that surrounds him. But in terms of Miracle, I think he's chasing down – uh, something with that Roy Nelson fight, I know he really wants to fight Fedor. I know he really wants to fight Fedor. Um, but the, the the big thing with Ryzen is Yuri Prohaska. That's the guy. I mean, he, we're, people are, are are they need to start paying attention to Yuri Prohaska uh, as an opponent. Again, he was he emerged victorious uh, at Ryzen again, taking out JQ and you know at, at four minutes and twenty nine seconds of the opening round. This is Miracle did say in an interview with Frank and I a while back that if I'm going to fight my retirement fight, it's got to be against Fedor, or it's got to be against an up-and-comer. Well, Rogi Martinez was an up-and-comer, and he beat him. So that's not going to be his retirement fight. But uh, a lot of promotion, a lot of talk, a lot of chatter in Japan is, is Yuri Prohaska against uh, Mirko Filipovic. So we'll see. What else stood out to you on this Ryzen show, Joe? Oh, my God, the entrance for Andy Wynn. Did you guys see it? I did. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I was in – I so before we got – we always get to the arena like two and a half hours beforehand. Right. It's just the way it is. The fighters got to be there. We're on the bus to fighters. And, you know, there's Lenny Hart and, you know, she's doing the, they're, they're doing the pre-production stuff and going through everybody's entrance. And all of a sudden, uh, I, I got to tell you guys that the sound in that arena is so crystal clear, like it's so beautiful. And then the production is incredible. Uh, and then I got to see um, basically what Andy was going to come into. Right, so it was the Michael Jackson song, and I saw the graphic at the top and how amazing the like the editing was. And, and then I looked over on her, and, and boom, her, her Twitter comes up, and she's like, "Just for, for people that don't know, I'm, I'm I'll be fighting tonight. Fight's been moved. Uh, I people are probably gonna laugh, thinking I spent more time on my entrance than I did training for my fight." I'm like, "Oh, what are we in for?" And man, that entrance was just freaking awesome, absolutely 
amazing. Good for her. Uh, the one thing I did like, obviously, was Crookshank's you know, victory over Brandao. That was just ridiculous. But I want people uh, on the live chat now, you two guys, and everyone to start pay- paying close attention to the Asakura brothers. Um, you know, Kai and, and uh, Mikuru, those guys, man, their story is ridiculous. They showed in both of their entrances home footage of these two gong shows fighting in front of their house. When they were kids, they would put gloves on, a, a la BJ Penn back in the day, and they would fight each other. And I'm telling you, Sean and, and James, the footage was better than some of the fights we've seen professionally. And this is when they were kids. These guys are born, bred fighters. They fought for an organization called the Outsiders uh, in Japan. The Outsiders is basically street kids where the promoter brings in street kids, puts them in martial arts gyms, MMA gyms, and tells them to stop fighting on the streets, get paid to fight, train, and then we'll put you in the cage to fight. And that's how they came up. To, uh, and you see these guys, they're pretty boys. They're handsome-looking fellas. Man, can they throw bombs. Another piece of news that kind of went under the radar over the last week and, and bummed me out, but I understand why it happened. Uh, former UFC title challenger Michael Mayday McDonald has retired from MMA. He is 27 years old. And to an outsider, you may ask, why? Why is this? Well, it's been a talking point on our podcast for virtually the two years that it has existed. The guy can't stay healthy, most specifically in his hands. He's a woodworker. So if you can't use your hands as a woodworker, that's that's beyond threatening your MMA career, which has taken a back seat. It's threatening your, your livelihood in so many other different ways. And Joe, I even joked, I put I put betting odds. And I put him breaking his hand as a like a minus four hundred, I think it was, and it was a bit of a joke. But man, I was really disheartened and and sad to see it. I, I love Michael McDonald. I love interviewing the guy. He's such just a wonderful, positive dude. Also, he had to overcome having that name. Imagine having that <laughs> name and trying to make it for yourself, even in combat sports. Joe, what are your memories of Michael McDonald? Oh, best memories when he was in Toronto, uh, doing a bunch of stuff, doing a bunch of uh, promotional stuff, and you know, got to know him. We got to hang out. Uh, I think James was at the uh, Air Canada Center at the time, which has now got a different name, Scotiabank Arena. Or Scotiabank like Arena, yep. yeah. Uh, but back then, it was the Air Canada Center. And it was all part of one of the UFC events, and I, you know, we just sat there and shot the breeze. And I'm like, this guy's so cool, down to earth, nothing, uh, no attitude about him, like some fighters that just walk around and they're rolling their eyes because they've got to do media stuff and. You know, we did a bunch of stuff with him for Sportsnet, and, you know, I just kind of felt for the guy. I just like, you know what, I like this guy. I can't wait to see him fight, and such an exciting fighter, but, you know, your hands keep breaking, and like you mentioned, he works with wood. That's his gig. He needs your hands, so uh, I, I feel terrible for the guy. I feel absolutely horrible because he was one of those guys that could have had a much more prolific career uh, if his hands didn't break so much, and, you know, if he made a couple different decisions in some of the fights, but I think it was the... Um, Lineker fight, if I'm not mistaken, where he decided to fight fire with fire. Uh, and that was a game changer for me. And that's one of the fights that ended up having him just leave the UFC and go to Bellator. But other than that, I mean, this is a, a stand-up guy and very unfortunate he's got to retire at such a young age. I would be shocked if we didn't see him fight again at some point at that age. I, I would be sh- surprised if somebody didn't offer him money to – because, I mean, there's a lot of time for yeah. another ACB to emerge and just be like, here's a lot of money. We'll make it worth your while. James, this was a guy who was near the top of the Bantamweight division, even when he left the UFC, even after the, the back and forth. And he had, you're not going to run into a lot of guys who are 27 years old and who missed two years and then a year and a half of their career at that. But he's been fighting professionally since he was 16. What are, what are your memories and maybe thoughts on Michael McDonald retiring? Well, the memory that sticks out to me for sure is UFC 145 uh, when he got that win over Miguel Torres. That was the fight that got him the fight against Henan Barrow for the title. Um, you know, to me, this was a kid that would look like the future of the UFC in terms of, you know, what he was able to accomplish in such a short period of time. You know, you mentioned the hands. It happens. I mean, there's certain fighters. They're just they, they get injuries, um, it, it, you know, and especially for him who has a sort of a day job outside of this where, you know, he's trying to make a living and everything else. Uh, you know, the Kanahara fight was interesting because that was a fight he nearly lost and he ended up coming back. That was at UFC 195. But how about Bellator? I mean, it sucks for them in a way because his last fight, he just knocked out Eduardo Dantes, who, you know, was their former champion. He yeah. finished him in the first round. It's like you're not really getting the worth of that at this point because he has to retire. So uh, just a great career from from a guy. And I get it. When I saw him, you know, I saw the headline that he had retired. I was like, it makes sense. So, uh, you know, I wish him all the best, but you got to think long term. And I think he's making the right choice here. 
Yeah, and the thing is, if he fights Barrow today, tomorrow, well, not tomorrow. He's got his arms swollen up. If he fights him healthy, I think he beats Barrow in under probably under two rounds today. Just and you always have to wonder, you have to question that the inexperience. I don't want to say inexperience of McDonald, but he was still very young at that point. And then some other factors. But McDonald announced uh, it was four days ago, and he said, "quote." I'm excited to announce the start of a new chapter for me and my wife, Rachel. Today, I'm officially retiring from MMA fighting, and I plan on never competing in martial arts competitions again. I had a wonderful career and wonderful staff and even greater, a wonderful wife and a wonderful God to thank for all these great moments. I'm going to be doing my woodworking uh, full time from here on and many years to come. I've been a professional cabinet and furniture maker for seven years now alongside my fighting. I have my own custom cabinetry and furniture shop and just as passionate about woodworking as I am martial arts, end quote. Uh, I, I've talked to him about this before. He was actually a guest on Wikipedia Fact Check because <laughs> how am I going to interview Michael McDonald and not bring – I mean, you can't Wikipedia the guy. First off, you're going to run into musicians and comedians and uh, other combat sports uh, fighters. So – he was a natural on that and he was very, very just always down to earth and really happy and always positive. And he was really wholesome as well. <laughs> I don't know if you all ever noticed that, just, yeah. just how wholesome the guy was. And as you mentioned, James law or beat Judy Dantas in under a minute and still his, he couldn't keep his hands healthy. And for quite frankly, I don't blame him. If he's making a good living off of woodworking and it's something that he loves to do and he can channel all that good selfishly i hope we get to see him fight again i i feel like we were robbed of a lot of michael mcdonald fights and that's a shame because he's an outstanding fighter and uh best of luck to him it's time guys (laughs) ufc 229 all the focus is on conor mcgregor and habib and we'll get to that that'll be towards the end of the show this is a damn good card I like it. You got Ferguson Pettis, OSP Dom Reyes, Derek Lewis Volkov. You have uh, Michelle Watterson and Herrig, Pettis and Formiga, Aspen Ladd and Tanya Evinger's a good fight. Gray Maynard in there at lightweight. I'm interested in that one. You have a bantamweight fight uh, in the women's division, which always means something for better or for worse. But let's look at this fight pass prelim card. You have Alan Patrick against Scott Holtzman. You have Ryan LaFlair against Tony Martin. Anything about either one of those two really stand out to you, uh, James? Alan Patrick has been in the UFC since 2013, but this is only his seventh fight. Yeah, uh, interesting matchup here because, you know, Patrick has been fairly inactive, but Holtzman's the one who actually has the long layoff heading into this fight. I know he mm-hmm. became a dad recently, so that's why he wanted to take some extra time off and facing a really tough guy in uh, in Alan Patrick. And uh, yeah, I mean, th- to me, this is this is a good fight for both guys because, you know, Patrick, uh, you know, he needs to stay active and, you know, he over the years, he's just been very inconsistent. And uh, I think he's a guy that's sort of been slept on. I mean, you look at his age a little bit, uh, you wonder, you know, how much longer he's going to sort of be kicking around here. He's uh, 35 years old and, you know, Holtzman, uh, as the younger guy trains at the lab, uh, Holtzman. I mean, he's he's heading into this fight on a on a two fight win streak, but uh, no real notable wins. And this would be sort of that notable win for him if he's able to pull it off. But uh, I don't know. It's 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 a tough one to call. Um, I, I think if you had to make a pick, I'm going Alan Patrick in this one just because of the fact I think that he's proven himself more in the UFC in terms of his skill set. And uh, Holtzman's uh, hot sauce has got a tough task ahead of him on Saturday. As am I. And you look at the Ryan LaFlair Tony Martin fight, and usually you look at a guy who's seven and two in the UFC, and you say. Why is he on Fight Pass? Why is Tony Martin, who's won four of his last five, on Fight Pass? Joe, I think it's quite obvious why Ryan LaFleur is on Fight Pass. He's not finishing fights. They right. don't, they don't want to shove him on the FS1 or the pay-per-view show that's going to have a lot of eyeballs on it if he's not going to deliver. So this is their way of giving him a good opponent and Tony Martin and vice versa because Tony Martin hasn't been finishing guys of late either, at least the way that, that he was when he came into the UFC. Uh, what do you think about that and the placement of it? Well, I think you're bang on. I mean, the, since he's joined the UFC, uh, he's only been a part of one fight that ended uh, in a finish, and he lost that fight to Alex Oliveira. It was a it was a knockout punch. So um, that that's pretty much one of the only reasons why he's on this fight pass card. He's just not finishing people. And, and bottom line is, when it comes to the UFC, uh, there's a lot of intangibles that go into promoting a fighter, uh, promoting stars, promoting stuff in general. Number one, you got to win. Number two, you got to finish. Number three, you better be good on the microphone. So, and Ryan LeFleur right now has a couple of X's 
uh, in those columns. Great guy. Just has to just sell it more. He's got to sell it more and he's got to finish, guys. James, the, the real question on my mind during this entire show is, is Nick Lentz finally going to call out Conor McGregor, who has been ducking him for years? <laughs> I mean, I remember when Nick Lentz was the answer to Conor McGregor. People, can he get past Nick Lentz? But can he get past the test of Nick Lentz? He's taking on Gray Maynard, a former champion at lightweight. Maynard has a bit of a career resurgence. Won two of his last three fights, but hasn't fought in a year and a half. Or not a year and a half, about 14 months. Either way, he is a guy, UFC likes to give a longer leash to guys like Gray Maynard, who put on great fights for them and have competed for titles. And he was real close to that title at one point. But I always say, if if you lose four fights in a row, there's something about you UFC likes. And... Even if he loses here, he's probably going to stick around until he he decides to retire. But Lentz and Maynard at lightweight, who you got? I got Lentz in this fight. Maynard's coming in on a layoff uh, from this fight. I know uh, he had, I think he was building a house or something. He had to take some extended time off. And uh, he, those, you know, those wins that you mentioned, those were at featherweight. So him moving back up to 55, which I think is better. I mean, I don't know what the record is for fighters later in their career when they drop weight. It's not very good though. In general, a lot of the fighters don't do so well. Uh, so, you know, good, good on him for moving back up. But, you know, I just look at Lentz as, as the more complete fighter training at the, uh, I was going to say the Black Zillions, but it's uh, Hard Knocks now, training over there in Florida with some really great training partners there. You know, he's getting he's getting looks when it comes to wrestling. He's training with Logan Storley. He's training with, you know, a lot of really high-level guys over there. Maynard's still at Extreme Couture, training with some good guys as well. But uh, I just think overall on paper, I think at this point in their careers, I think Lentz is the better fighter, and I expect him to probably take a decision. And uh, speaking of decision, one more thing I wanted to mention on the last fight uh, between LaFleur and Martin. Tony Martin was told by Sean Shelby that him and LaFleur are the two most boring fighters in the UFC. I don't know if that was a way to, to say, you know, to kind of light a fire into them. But Tony was not happy about that because if you remember a couple fights ago, he fought Johnny Case in what was a really entertaining matchup. So to hear that, kind of a shot, shot in the, you know, kind of, kind of a shot in the, in the pants so to speak um but uh but yeah so so LaFleur and Martin I think you're going to see a really explosive fight there because of the fact I think both of them were told they were boring so imagine the match imagine your boss telling you you know you're underperforming that's basically what they said I hope we do because they need it they really need it both of those guys do we have a couple of uh tilts in the women's bantamweight division Lena Landsberg top 15 fighter who I will forever associate as cyborg victim that's just the immediate thing that pops up into my head taking on Yana Kunitskaya and we also have Aspen Ladd taking on Tanya Evinger. That Ladd-Evinger fight I am especially looking forward to. I think this is a great test for Aspen Ladd, who has wins over uh, Sajara Eubanks, Lena Landsberg, even earlier in her career over Amanda Cooper. Joe, any fight in this division can lead to something because you just never know. And if you just happen to make weight on the right day, you might be slotted. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done into a title fight given the way that things are now and the depth of these divisions because you never know if anybody who's competing for a championship is going to make weight if they're going to make it to weigh-ins so as long as you keep on that winning path you show up and you make weight you might be the person that's called upon aspen lad might win this fight against evinger the next time she's she's there she she hits that 135 mark somebody doesn't show up to fight bam she's in a title fight way earlier than she expected what are you looking for out of these two women's fights uh, with the Aspen Lad fight, uh, she's a minus one sixty favorite right now. I'm looking for her to finish Tanya. Not going to be easy, uh, but I'm looking for her to secure that finish because what you just said is bang on. You never know what can happen uh, in this division. Uh, just be ready, be available, uh, get ready to step in out on that scale, be ready for that call. Say, you know what, we have a title fight here. Uh, we'd like you to show up on fight week. We'll we'll fly it out, but you got to make weight just in case. So uh, Aspen Lad's a, a perfect candidate. For that type of scenario, but first she's got to get past Tanya Evinger. In terms of the Landsberg Kunitskaya fight, same thing with Kunitskaya. She needs to get a finish here, in my opinion. Uh, Lena Landsberg, um, you know, she's lost to Aspen Ladd, right? So it's, it's she's lost to, to Cyborg. So I don't, I don't know what to expect too much from her, but 
Um, with Yana, I think she's got to get a finish as well, and this really opens up the division. James, your thoughts? Yes, yeah, sorry, I just uh, didn't know if I should chime in there. Uh, two <laughs> quick things. Obviously, we have uh, image or interviews with uh, Lad and Kunitsukaya here on Fightful. Check those out. Uh, Kunitsukaya training in Vegas now. She was at Jackson, so now she's getting to work at Extreme Couture with all the uh, different fighters that go through there, especially with the PI. She's getting a lot of different looks. So interested to see how that pays dividends. And I agree with Joe here. I think she needs a finish to, uh, you know, to stay relevant uh, coming off that loss to Cyborg. And with Lad, one thing we didn't mention is that she missed weight against Leslie Smith. So, uh, you know, there's always been sort of the stigma with her about weight issues if you remember the year before that she was supposed to fight jessica i had a medical issue had to pull out of that fight as well so lad needs to create some momentum here and she's got a tough test in tanya evinger i know the age is kind of scaring a lot of people off and i think that's why lad is the favorite in this fight but let's not forget some of the fighters that she has defeated including yana um talking about tanya evinger here so i, I think uh, you know lad should probably win this fight but from a betting perspective i think the value here is actually on evinger and you know lad uh, you know when I, I spoke to her you know she knew about this fight well in advance says the weight issues won't be a problem but that is something to keep an eye on because she did miss weight in her last fight against uh, leslie smith like i mentioned but uh my picks uh lad and uh, i'm gonna go kutsukaya in uh, in those in those fights you gotta believe that the ufc wants lad to win 23 year old undefeated prospect that's probably the way that they they want to go. Other lines on this show: Laflair minus one hundred and sixty over Tony Martin plus one hundred and thirty. Lentz minus two hundred and twenty-five over Gray Maynard one seventy plus one hundred and seventy-five. Alan Patrick minus two hundred and fifty over Scott Holtzman plus one hundred and ninety-five. Yana Kuniskaya minus one hundred and ninety uh, with a plus one hundred and fifty-five on Landsberg. That might be one of my I got five on it's right there. Uh, and Aspen Lab minus one hundred and forty with uh, Tanya Avenger plus one hundred and ten. You have Vicente Luque, minus 700 over Jalen Turner at plus 450. When odds are that that ridiculous, that might just be an I got five on it, even though I am completely leaning towards Vicente Luque here. What are, what are your thoughts, James? This is a stupid matchup. You know, I don't get it. They did this exact same thing uh, a month ago with uh, with Tiago Santos and Kevin Holland. They're, they're putting yeah. a prospect against a veteran. This is what I think happened. I think they tried to find an opponent for Luke. They couldn't. So they got a guy who won on Contender Series and Jalen Turner, who should have been given a contract. He wasn't. So he takes a short notice fight. And here's the thing. Turner's moving up or is moving up to 170 for this fight. He's a natural lightweight. So to me, that's why the line is so crazy. And Luke is extremely talented. Let's not forget Luke has a has a friend or sorry, has a uh, has, has a win over uh, Abdullah Muhammad. I mean, this guy is, you know, he's got some quality wins. He just knocked out Chad Laprise. I mean, Luque is, in my opinion, definitely a top 15 guy, a guy that's, you know, uh, really, you know, sort of established himself. His last loss was Leon Edwards. And he's facing a guy in Turner who is very talented. I became aware of Jalen Turner Maybe two years ago, uh, Brandon Gibson raves about this kid. I was just saying that, you know, he's got all the, all the tools to sort of take it to the next level. And we saw that on Contender Series. He got that uh, he got that win. I know it ended prematurely with the doctor stoppage, but Turner, uh, extremely talented. But th- this is dumb because what the UFC is doing, essentially, Turner's, what, 23 years old and you're getting him to face Luke. I'm pretty sure Luke is going to finish him in this fight. But why are you killing a prospect like that? It doesn't make any sense to me. This is stupid matchmaking. That's why the line's so high. I, I agree completely with that. It, it is... Weird matchmaking, real weird matchmaking. Uh, Sean O'Malley has announced that he is not going to be competing in his fight. USADA has instituted a new policy where they don't announce failures or violations immediately. They they wait for the due due process to occur. But Sean O'Malley got ahead of this and announced it himself. I thought it was very mature of him, Joe, but. At some, I agree with this new policy, but so, at some point when people just disappear from cards or don't compete for eight, nine, ten months, maybe a year and a half, people are going to start wondering. And the, there's going to be a, there's a lot of trial and error with this method, but I want to know your thoughts on USADA's new policy as well as Sean O'Malley getting ahead of things. Well, first things first, I'm ecstatic USADA watches our show um, <laughs> because this is what we've talked about forever. Right, who said stop announcing stuff until the final result is in? Stop. You're ruining careers. Um, so I I I agree with it. Uh, we're now entering the next chapter of this USADA relationship with the UFC, um, or another chapter, another era uh, per se. The John Jones scenario. I mean, I thought it was crazy that Verdum came out and said I, you know, I, I was offered to snitch as well as well uh, from USADA, and I didn't do it. Like it's holy. Like this whole this is crazy. I mean. No one could have predicted all this USADA stuff when it first came out. I mean, it was it was supposedly great for the sport, but now they're no excuse me they're no longer announcing uh, any results or anything until the due process is done. Perfect. 
Sean O'Malley coming out and doing what he did. Um, sometimes you want to get ahead of the curve when you're guilty. You understand, you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you want to get ahead of the curve when you feel like something's about to go down, right? Put out that, put out that fire before it gets really too big. Um, I don't know what the deal is with O'Malley and what happened fully, but um, to your point, when you start thinking to yourself, man, this guy, this girl, whomever it is, hasn't competed in nine months. Why aren't they on cards? They had a great victory. They're on a four-fight win streak. You know, we're going to start thinking right away, uh-oh, Yusada. Yeah, but I mean, we're less inclined to think that than if Yusada just comes out and says, hey, you know this guy who's actually popped before? They did again. Don't give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, James, what did you think of this? Personally, I thought it was it was a good step for O'Malley considering the new rule because he's going to have the reputation of the stoner. I mean, it's something that I literally watched Matt Riddle battle throughout his independent wrestling career because of the reputation he had. O'Malley didn't take long to establish that reputation as well. I thought this was a smart move on his behalf. Yeah, and it's smart that he did do this, but you still see people on social media just assuming that's what it was. I, I saw a lot of people posting, oh, yeah, he got busted for weed again. It's like, no, guys, read what he said. Um, you know, good on him. But like you said, they were going to find out anyways, because if he's off the card and you're not, you're going to, what are you going to lie to us? It's like, it's one of those things. So I think he, he made the right choice. And, uh, you know, I should mention this as well. I tried to interview Sean O'Malley last week. He ends up canceling the day of him. Like, what's going on here? And then, of course, this comes out later. So, uh, you know, wish him the best. Hope it all gets sorted out. Um, you know, seems like uh, we're seeing a lot of weird stuff happening with uh, USADA and, and everything else. So hopefully he gets rebooked. Uh, a bit of a blow to the card because I was looking forward to that fight. But uh, nonetheless, um, you know, good to see him uh, get back or, you know, you know hopefully, hopefully he gets uh, everything sorted out. A couple of guys on this show, Sergio Pettis and Jesse Formiga, two guys the UFC wants in title shot position. Formiga since the beginning because when he came into the UFC, he was one of the top were considered among the top flyweights in the world. You have Sergio Pettis for obvious reasons. He's a Pettis brother, and he's very good. This is a really, really great flyweight fight, especially for the Fox Sports 1 prelims, essentially, which likely will be bumped up to headline the Fox Sports 1 prelims. James, who you got here, and what do you think is in the future for the winner? I like Pettis in this fight. I was really impressed what he did in his last matchup, uh, getting that win. Um, and, uh, you know, against, uh, I think it was Benavides, right? It was his last fight. Uh, I always get the flywoods mixed up here and there. But, yeah, I, I thought yeah, Pettis put on a good performance in that one. Formiga's been one of those guys who's just been there. He's been consistent. He's been close to a title shot. Um, as far as the winner, I think they're going to have to wait because uh, I, I still have this theory that I think we're going to see Henry Cejudo and TJ, uh, you know, take place. And then I think we'll see yeah. TJ fight after that. I think that's what's going to end up happening because people think that DJ has to have this rematch right away. He just had another kid. I think he's going to take some time off and he still will get that rematch. But I think they're going to end up doing TJ and uh, Henry first. That's just my hunch. And so I think the winner will either have to wait it out or, you know, fight someone else or, you know, or, or uh, yeah, fight someone else that, that's a top contender. The demand for or what little demand there is for Cejudo and TJ is just so weird to me. It's just I don't I don't get it. Joe and this Pettis Formiga fight, who you got? Pettis, I got Pettis this one here. I think it, uh, you know, if if you want to break it down uh, on a surface level, the, the age factor. I mean, Formiga's got the experience, but Pettis mm-hmm. is young. Um, you know, he, t- he took up Benavidez, and Formiga's slowly but surely. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'll always love Formiga. I mean, the guy fought Tacky forever. Um, he's just a, a fantastic fighter, but it's getting to the point, you know, you know, he, he beat Ben Wynn in his last fight. I just think Pettis is on a different level right now. He's at a different tier. I think he brings a little bit more to this fight here, especially with the speed. Uh, but Pettis has that habit of counterfighting. So it could turn into a fight where it's like, dude, don't do that. You'll be in the third round before you know it. You're going to be a little bit, you know, you'll be exhausted. Um, go in there for the finish. I think he could outstrike. Uh, Formiga and Formiga is just basically going to want to get Pettis down on the ground and go for the back, right? So all depends. Michelle Waterson against Felice Herrig. This is a nice fight to kick off the pay-per-view. Herrig, a minus-135 favorite to Michelle Waterson's plus-105. I am going for her in this one. I think she's a little too strong for Michelle Waterson. Uh, Waterson has been – there is a blueprint, a really good blueprint on beating her. Uh, and we've seen it implemented several times. Herrig has won four of her last five, lost to Kovokovic last time, and she went to a split with one of the top women in the division, contrary to what happened to her uh, mo- most recently. But, Joe, am I alone in this? What are your takes on uh, Watterson and Herrig? I think you summed it up very well. I mean, the blueprint's there to beat Michelle. 
Um, I mean, the Karate Hottie is a fantastic fighter. I'll, I'll forever talk about the dexterity that she has in her limbs because she can do things uh, that a lot of people can't do. But Felice Herrig has proven time and time again that this quote-unquote resurgence that she's having um, is showing a lot. And the fact that, like you said, she did go the distance um, with one of the division's best. You know, uh, well, Carolina did get knocked out um, last time, but Carolina's still a badass fighter. Uh, I just think that Harry is going to control Watterson. Uh, she'll dictate where this fight is going to take place. As long as she keeps her chin down, keeps it in check, uh, doesn't get tagged, I think uh, Harry wins this fight. James? Yeah, Herrig wins this fight. Uh, I, I think Watterson's one of those fighters, unfortunately, where her skill set can only get her so far. She's not a natural strawweight. I mean, if they had an atomweight division, I think she'd be a perfect fit there. Interesting, both these fighters have split wins over Courtney Casey, which I thought was kind of interesting. But yeah, Herrig will win a decision. I, I don't think we'll see anything groundbreaking here, but uh, I think Herrig will, will do enough to, to get the win and just basically out-muscle uh, Michelle Watterson over three rounds. Atomweight division available in Ryzen. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Come on over. A possibly good heavyweight fight. Alexander Volkov favored at minus 175 over Derek Lewis, plus 145. I'll put five on it for almost any heavyweight fight. Just why not? <laughs> but you have Derek Lewis, who we have seen do great things, and then we've seen just look like the laziest fighter on earth. Like it is, And, and the thing is, he's won eight of his last nine. So the inconsistency seems much larger than it actually is, but he just beat Francis Ngannou, technically. He beat Marcin Taipura. But Volkov, man, he's a guy that I look at, and you know, I, I wasn't sure what was going to become of him after he lost to, to Johnson and Congo and Bellator. But he has become a legit contender in the UFC's top 10 heavyweight division, beating uh, Struve, beating Verdum, beating Roy Nelson. James, who you got? I got Volkov. I don't know why the line's so close on this. To me, it, it's it's fairly simple. Derek Lewis, uh, you know, his last performance, the reason it was so lackluster was it was his back issues, which he refuses to get, you know, addressed. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what he would need to do, but he's just not a very mobile heavyweight. And yes, he's got that knockout power, but November 2013 is the last time you would find Alexander Volkov losing by knockout. He's a guy that can take a punch. He's also got that reach and that length. I think Volkov dominates here. I could be completely wrong. It's heavyweight. Like you said, anything can happen. I mean, uh, you know, we, we've seen uh, Lewis surprised before, but uh, to me, I, I think we're going to see Volkov either finish or just uh, pull out a decision here. But uh, I, I really like Volkov in this fight. I think he dominates. Lewis is deceptively large too. He he looks like he's like the Mark Hunt five ten five eleven heavyweight, but he's six foot three. He has a seventy nine inch reach. So even Alexander Volkov's eighty one inch reach, it's not that much of an advantage. But I think he can use it a lot better. And he presses forward a little bit more, and I think that's that's a game that Derek Lewis doesn't want. Uh, Joe, how, what do you think? I think the whole back issue uh, with Derek Lewis, how it's fixed, it's not fixed, it feels better, it doesn't feel better. Uh, that's causing a lot of issues with a lot of the line makers, as well as his last fight against Ngannou. Uh, in terms of Volkov, uh, dude's a killer. I, I I like the way he fights, man. You don't you don't go and take out um, Attila Vey, Tim Johnson, Roy Nelson, Stefan Struven, Fabrizio Verdum if you don't have skills. You know, and he's got cardio uh, to take over Doom in the fourth round. You know, and before that, his last three fights went into the third round uh, or more. So the, the guys, I, I like Volkov. I think uh, you know, I think the line is somewhat fair, uh, although I thought it'd be a bit further apart. I, I like Volkov in this fight. Speaking of skills, odds makers think that Dom Reyes at minus two twenty five has the skills to beat an established light heavyweight in Ovin St. Pru at plus one seventy five. I am inclined to degree I, or, or agree. I really like Dom Reyes. I think that he is a light heavyweight that this division needs. He's a 9-0 prospect, essentially. All his fights in the UFC have ended in the first round. All but one have been finished. He's looking really good. And as I've mentioned, as John Jones mentioned on the Rogan podcast, he says that Ovin St. Peru can be one of the toughest guys to fight because Despite his experience level, he can be so raw that he doesn't know what he's going to do next. So it's really hard for his opponent to know what he can do next. We do know that he has taken the Von Flu choke, which you got to put yourself in to a point to where it's not the, the type of submission that I just go off on all the time. If you leave that, that opening there for a fraction of the second, he's learned to pin that in. It's it's just not the same uh, way that other people employ it, but he's won four of his last five. I think Dom Reyes is going to get the win here, Joe. 
And that would be a big one for him in this division because Ovin St. Proof, for better or for worse, he beats the Tyson Pedros, the Corey Andersons, the Yushin Okamis of the world, Shogun Hua, Pat Cummins, a lot of guys, and Nikita Krylov, who are in and out. John Volante, in and out of the top 15. So that would be a big win for uh, Reyes, and I think he's going to get it done. Yeah, it's going to be a good fight. I mean, Reyes is uh, you know undefeated, still considered a prospect, obviously, but this is the test. This is the test the UFC wants to put him against because a guy in OSP, you just don't know. You just don't know what to expect. But what you do know is that OSP beats these types of guys, right? So if he doesn't beat this type of guy, then you know that the UFC is thinking, all right, Dominic Reyes is good. This guy, if you can't get past OSP, um, it's almost like a weird sort of gatekeeper position that OSP has right now. So um, I, I, it's, I'm, this is one fight, guys, that I can't, I can't put my finger on who I think is going to win uh, this is one of those fights I just want to play out to see what it's all about because um, Reyes has that potential, but OSP just has the skill set. You just don't know, uh, and he's very difficult to compete against. So uh, I, I don't have a prediction per se on this one here, but I'll be definitely playing very close attention because the winner of this fight, especially if it's Reyes, uh, is going to you know send havoc throughout this division. And that's a really good point, Joe, because with the exception of Ozdemir, you look back at the guys that have beaten OSP and Strike Force in the UFC. It's Musasi, it's uh, Bader, Glover Teixeira, John Jones, Jimmy Manoa, and even Elor Latifi, who is he's not on the ascent or anything. He's been around for a while. James, I know that you've uh, you talked to Dom Reyes. How, how do you see this fight going? I like Dominic Reyes in this fight. I think one of the things we should mention is that his coach, Joe Stevenson, I remember him on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, he is now the coach at Team Quest uh, with Dan Henderson. So Reyes has actually been benefiting from this because he's over there getting to train with guys like Dan Henderson, Sam Alley. Uh, there's a guy, Jared Vandera, who uh, you know fights for EFC as a light heavyweight fighter. So he's getting a lot of different looks uh, in terms of bodies, which is great for this camp. Um, my, my thing with this fight is, and Joe sort of alluded to it, I think OSP is the typical, he, he's the gatekeeper in this division. I mean, if you can beat OSP, you pretty much have, have solidified the fact that you're above, uh, you know, sort of the lower tier of that division. And I think race is going to prove that in this fight. Now it's hard because, you know, none of his fights have, you know, he hasn't had a single decision in the UFC. You have to go all the way back to 2015 for the last time he went the distance. So we haven't seen too much of a sample size in terms of him getting, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, going longer in a fight, but OSP man, he's so inconsistent. That's my issue with him. I mean, even the Pedro fight, he ended up getting, um, you know, uh, he, he ended up getting the submission in that one, but leading up to that, he wasn't looking so hot. So to me, it's, it's, uh, I think this is, I think Reyes is going to be too fast, um, too quick, and, and I think he's going to end up either catching OSP or he'll just win a decision in this one. But uh, I, there's no way at this point in his career that I can confidently pick Ovin St. Prue in this fight. So I'll go Dominic Reyes. Co main event Tony Ferguson minus 360 over former UFC champion Anthony Pettis at plus 270. Tony Ferguson is a freak of nature and he is recovering from a pretty bad knee injury, but it's his first fight in a year. He is a very unique, special fighter. This is probably going to be a very, very good fight. What kind of chances are you giving Pettis here, James? It's tough. The only chance I give Pettis is the, is the sense that he probably didn't deserve this fight. Um, and, and, I, and I think it, we would all agree here, if he wasn't a former champion, he probably doesn't get this fight. I think it was just a good circumstance that he got that. So really, I mean, and the odds makers are, are showing it too, just with, with how much of an underdog he is. That's a scary thing. Pettis really doesn't have anything to lose. I don't think a lot of people are expecting him to win this fight. Ferguson, he was the interim champ. He got that stripped. You know, he's been off for a year. I mean, the pressure's on him to win. I mean, he's got basically a payday against either, you know, Conor McGregor or whoever or Nate Diaz. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of good options for him or for anyone of the winner of this fight. So that's a scary thing here. Now, if I've been impressed with Pettis over his last couple of fights, I haven't. You know, I think a lot of people put too much stock into the Chiesa win. Chiesa missed weight for that fight. Chiesa's fighting at 170 now. That was more indication of Chiesa not being at his top at the top of his game than Pettis's performance, in my opinion. And if you want to go back even further than that, look at the Jim Miller win. He got a decision in that fight. But in my opinion, that wasn't the type of performance that tells me that Anthony Pettis is back. It was a good performance. He got it done. But if you went out there and finished Jim Miller, and I know Jim Miller's a tough guy to finish, I would, you know, be a little bit more, you know, I would think this fight would be a little bit more competitive. But I, I think Ferguson beats him in every area. I think he's a better striker, better ground guy. To me, this, I think the line is right where it needs to be. I see Ferguson either finishing Pettis or getting a dominant decision here. But the only thing that worries me is the fact that Pettis has this mentality coming into the fight where probably didn't think he was going to get this fight. You know, a lot of people are expecting him not to win. That's a scary thing uh, for a guy like this. So, um, you know, I'll go Ferguson, but I, I wouldn't bet on this fight just because I, th I think there is, uh, you know, sort of an X factor there with, with Pettis uh, and the mentality he could have heading into this fight. 
one of the things that's always in the back of my mind when it, when Tony Ferguson is fighting is what kind of damage has been done to his body via his own training methods. He's 34 years old. He's coming off of knee surgery, and he still trains like a psych like a psychopath. To be quite honest with you, and I don't mean a psychopath as any trains hard. I mean he trains very unusual, and I don't know necessarily how his body will respond following that type of a knee knee injury. Uh, Joe, you giving Pettis any any room here? A little bit, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm wearing my Go Team Pettis Go shirt all night, right? I've been, you know, Anthony's fantastic, but Ferguson wins this fight, in my opinion. I mean, Tony's just, you know, despite the fact that he's he's missing a few screws whenever he trains, he's just and he's like he operates on a different frequency. Let me tell you, um, I I'm rooting for Pettis, but Ferguson wins this fight because I just think that he's on a different level. Right now, I do get what James was saying about the Kiesa fight. Don't put too much stock in Showtime's win uh, over Kiesa. I do put some stock into that victory, though. Um, I, I, I put more stock into Kiesa breaking down. Um, but Pettis, you know, Pettis did what he had to do in that fight. I think if Pettis believes uh, and is telling us the truth about him going back to what he was before, um, this is a perfect example to prove it again. Because if he takes out Tony Ferguson, man, there's going to be some flags being raised everywhere. Like, whoa. Pettis is back. Pettis is truly back. So huge opportunity for him. And like, but like James said, not many people are giving him much of a chance. Uh, I, I've got my gold team Pettis goal for sure. Conor McGregor, Ebner Magomedov, UFC 229 main event. Fightful.com, FightfulMMA.com have full live coverage of the show and discussion. Come over, make your predictions. Check out our live post show on YouTube. And on Fightful.com, FightfulMMA.com. Let's break down the main event. Conor McGregor, a former double champion technically in the UFC, taking on the current champion, Habib Nurmagomedov. Looking for a lot of things in this. Their strengths are each other's weaknesses. We've seen Habib cracked by Michael Johnson. Didn't get knocked off his feet. Was stunned a little bit. I'm inclined to believe that with McGregor's reaction time, if he lands one shot like that that stuns Habib that he's going to land several more that follow he's got a lot of it it, his technical ability on the feet is really really underrated because it's sometimes outshined by his loud obnoxious personality you see Habib Nurmagomedov who sometimes has to wade in in order to get his takedowns and that's the type of thing that Conor McGregor loves but he also loves when people try to set up their takedowns with strikes so he can counter them. McGregor is a very proficient counter striker. What do you think the end game will be, uh, James, and who are you picking? All the logic in the world tells me that Habib's going to survive. He's going to end up using his grappling, wrestle Conor McGregor, win a decision or win, a, win by late finish, but it's Conor McGregor. Like you mentioned, he can knock out anyone. I, I look at the Eddie Alvarez knockout, for example. You know, Eddie, Eddie hadn't been knocked out in a fight since he had to go all the way back to Bodog when he lost to Nick Thompson in a fight where he was basically a welterweight fighting a middleweight uh, in that title fight. Uh, that was ages ago. And, uh, you know, Alvarez ended up, uh, you know, getting knocked out in that one. But uh, to me, McGregor just knocks out guys that you just don't think will get knocked out. And we haven't seen Habib really tested in that sense with some of the opponents. Now, that's not his fault. It's just the, you know, some of the guys he's had to face. He hasn't really been cracked. And we fought Michael Johnson. He, he got hit in that fight. But, I mean, Conor McGregor is just a completely different level. So, my pick here is going to be McGregor. I, I really feel like if he has, you know, especially in the early rounds, if he's able to connect, I think he can knock out anyone in the lightweight division. And, and I just think that Habib, it just, he's not, he's never faced a striker like that. Now, if Habib gets the takedown and, you know, gets Connor on the mat, like Chad Mendez does, then we're talking about a different, different fight here. And we could see him control McGregor, but I just, I don't know how you can bet against Connor McGregor. It just with what he's been able to do in the standup department, anytime a guy's got knockout power like that, I, I think it's really tough to, you know, to go against him. So I'm going McGregor. One more thing before we get, uh, before I end my point here, there is 64 prop bets for this fight. One of the, like, just to give you an example of some of the crazy prop bets, Nurmagomedov gets, uh, gets the most takedowns. Nurmagomedov, uh, you know, TKO in round three. Like you can literally pick to like the round uh, or the result. There's just some crazy bets here. Uh, so check that out if you guys are into betting the fights. Uh, I think there's like a touch gloves one as well. So a lot of fun stuff for this fight. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, my pick is going to be McGregor. Don't at me, guys. Um, I'm picking McGregor as well, and he is a plus 125 to Nurmagomedov's minus 155. That's one of my got I got five on it. But let's talk about that Mendez fight because a lot of people didn't think that McGregor would come out with kicks because that leads to takedowns, but he still does. He chops away, digs the toes into the body, works away at the cardio of his opponent. And while 
McGregor's cardio has been a question, Joe. You always have to question that with a Habib Nurmagomedov, despite how overwhelming he is. You never know what the latest weight cut is going to do to him. You never know how his body's going to respond to the latest thing that he put through. He puts through it, and he does have some offensive tools on the feet. He has uh, the eagle punch, they call it, that goes starts straight, goes up and around, and it, it breaks through the guard of a lot of people. But that is the type of punch that if you throw it, Conor McGregor might connect with you before you land. I mean, we saw Jose Aldo throw a strike that hit Conor McGregor, but Conor McGregor recognized it and was able to land first. What do you think the overwhelming uh, technique is that that sways this fight? Um, Whoever, if if Habib can remain mentally strong heading into this fight, he wins this fight in my opinion. It's only Tuesday. There's a whole lot of mental warfare that he's going to have to endure uh, leading up to Saturday's fight. So if he can remain mentally strong and it's not going to be easy, uh, I think he wins this fight. I think he cuts the distance off. I think, um, you know, Connor is Connor. Connor, I mean, any guy that goes 10 rounds with Floyd Mayweather is the best striker in UFC. Hate to break it to most people. They may not like that analogy, but um, he's the best striker in the UFC. So Habib should have no business whatsoever. Uh, striking with Connor, unless he can convince Connor he's in a striking fight, and then this fight goes down to the ground, control Connor, and then just beat him and beat him uh, even until the round ends, beat him for a TKO or beat him for you know three of the five rounds. I think that's what's going to happen. The technique here is the distance, uh, in my opinion. Whoever can control the distance and understand where you need to be to to, to execute whatever technique you think is going to help you in the fight um, is going to be the difference here. If Habib can close the distance while getting past that left hand, he gets, he's taking Connor down all night. If Connor can understand where he is in the cage and not be too close to the cage where he can't, you know, move laterally or he can't sprawl. If he can, if he can keep that space, he's going to knock out Habib. He's going to shock and awe Habib uh, until this fight's over. As you mentioned, Joe, the range, uh, Connor McGregor uses that and uses a plethora of tools, kicks, punches, uh, straight punches especially, but those, those distance kicks where he, he pulls his body back from his opponent but throws the kicks outward to nail them down when they do come in. And he he does it. He's gotten really good at making people circle away from his power and then attacking because usually you want people coming in towards it. You bait people to come in towards it, but he has developed an offense where he can do that with people going away. And then when you get impatient with McGregor, he makes you pay. You take him down and you fail, he's probably going to slip and counter there too. That happens. Habib, on the other hand, even when he fails a takedown, he puts the pressure right back on. You'll, you'll see him chase after people, even if he's not striking. He'll eat a couple just to put the pressure on. But that's a game that Conor McGregor sometimes likes, unless he's exhausted. Then he doesn't necessarily like it. But we've seen Habib literally chase people down with his hands down in order to keep the pressure on them. If Conor McGregor's cardio game isn't up to snuff, that's going to uh, cause some issues. Now, there's the whole aspect of Conor McGregor getting dragged down to the ground. He is, a, I think, a brown belt, technically. Oh, he's got ground skills. He's got ground skills, but it is against uh, uh, Habib. It's a different story altogether. Yeah, I don't think he's hitting X-guard sweeps like he did against Nate Diaz, who probably wanted down there anyway. And when Habib takes people down, he waits for people to try to advance and defend, and then he throws p- shots. He It's like he racks up – he's racking up a score on a video game. Like every punch is a couple more points for him. Then he'll submit people. It's uh, it's very good, and we, we've seen him switch from the low single when it didn't work to the body lock and go there against Iaquinta. James – I think it's uh, if if this gets into clinch range, I would be shocked if Khabib doesn't take him down. But as we've seen, Enable Trujillo got up 15, 16 times. So it's not impossible to get up. Can Conor McGregor's ground skills lead to him getting up? Possibly. We don't know. I mean, he's got really good coaching. He's you know bringing different guys in. Who knows what he's been working on? I just know that this guy always comes to fight uh, You know, in terms of coming with a great game plan. You got to put trust in the process. I, I think that he can he can surprise some people on the mat and you know do what he has to do. I, I think uh, no matter where this fight goes, Connor's going to be prepared, especially since he's had a lot of time for this fight too. I think this isn't like you know a switch up an opponent like with the Diaz fight uh, when he's supposed to fight Rafael Sanos. I think Connor is is the best prepared he can be heading into a fight like this. 
We have a live post-show Saturday night after UFC 229. Make sure you all tune in. James will be in Las Vegas. Showdown Joe likely joining me as it, as it seems. You all can follow him at Showdown Joe. Follow James at Lynch on Sports. Follow me at Sean Ross at, but most importantly, visit Fightful.com and FightfulMMA.com. Got coverage all week. Another presser on Thursday. We will have it streaming at the site. Every episode of Embedded. Inside the Octagon, Countdown, all that good stuff. Head over to Fightful.com and check it out. Until next time, guys, we are out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.